Hi, nerds. I'm Michael Moore, hosting this podcast for Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. I'm here with Gary Maynard, Director of Information Technology at Crowther Roofing and Cooling. Is that uh, is that correct, Gary? How are you doing today? I'm good, Michael. How are you doing today? And that Pretty is correct. good. I did. I pronounced it. We spent a long time uh, early on trying to get me to say it correctly uh, for the folks that don't know. And so I wanted to make sure I got it just right. And I did it after what I think was the 20th time. Right, Gary? <laughs> and you're not the only one that has trouble pronouncing that, by the way. <laughs> um, it's time for our icebreaker segment. It's called Random Access Memories. I ask a question and then you respond uh, with the answer that comes to your head first. And your first question, Gary, is what is the most useless piece of technology you have ever owned? The most useless piece of technology I've ever owned. Well, that's a good question. Um, I would say anything with Millennium Edition that Windows installed. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't a fan of me? The... <laughs> no, no, not at all. I didn't even move to it. I, I made sure I stayed away from it at work and waited for the next version to come out, which was a great version. They Yes, they never should have come out with that version of uh, of Windows. Oh, my gosh. That was uh that was rough. That was a rough version. I agree very with you. Rough. Very rough. <clears throat> what um what's the most innovative use of technology that you have seen recently? I guess um like most people, lots of AI use being being done and and I sell things on eBay and eBay provides with an AI description builder and I kinda of thought that was unique and and very welcome, by the way, because I have a hard time with those descriptions. Oh, well, nice. Nice. I like how I, I, it was, so it's like a predictive text type uh, thing or do no, it look, it look, you fill in a whole bunch of, uh, of fields about what the object is. In this case, I, I'm doing trading cards, football, baseball trading cards. And it looks at all those fields and then it puts together what it thinks is a good two paragraph description. Oh, wait. So it actually will. It's like, hey, I'm going to create the actual description for you. And then you could just edit it if it's wrong. That is correct. How how close did it get for you? Did you have to edit it much? We don't have to edit it very often. There's been wow. a few times where what I read was technically right, but didn't really sound well. So I took out some stuff. Uh, I haven't had to rewrite anything. It's just they're short sentences. So if I don't like a sentence, I take it out and the whole thing works still. Wow. Wow. Well, check that out. Um, all right. Your, uh, your last one here is, do you think the keyboard and mouse should be redesigned? And if so, what should the input devices look like? I don't think they should be redesigned. I mean, there's a lot of different keyboard designs and, and mouse designs now. Uh, some that I, I like and some that uh, just don't feel comfortable at all. But I think what we're most likely to go to is more of a voice voice uh, interaction with our computers. So yeah, that's that's probably accurate. I necessarily need a keyboard or a mouse. (laughs) Well, I'm essentially doing that with my phone. In fact, I think sometimes people might think I'm crazy because I'm just sitting there. It looks like I'm talking to myself, but I'm actually doing the the talk to text. Right. I'm just, you know, because right. every once in a while I'll start talking and somebody will look over at me and I'm like, no, it's the phone. It's the, I'm not crazy. It's the phone. <laughs> right. So. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and sometimes well, when you do talk to yourself, it looks like you're talking to your phone. So it works out the other way as well. It, that's true. I can just always point to the phone. No, no, yeah, no it's fine. I, I... <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to, I wanted to start off with something that. Um, I found on your profile on LinkedIn. Everyone knows at this point, uh, I, I, you know, I cyber stalk you beforehand, right? Right. <laughs> but I saw this on your profile and I, 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 it really, it really hit me and I thought it was such a great thing to bring up. Uh, you do volunteer work. I have. Yes. I have. Um, my daughter was working for a, um, local, uh, chapter of a um, awareness program for uh, traffic, trafficking, human trafficking. I don't know if you know this, but where I live, not too far from where I live, uh, it's the number one human trafficking area in the United States. I didn't Yikes. know that until I worked with them. But yeah, I've worked 
I've worked with them on there. Hey, you don't live too far from me. I, I, <laughs> more than probably a few. I'm in Tampa, so. <laughs> oh yeah, you're not far. Uh, it's in uh, Immokalee, Florida. Yeah, where it's the most human traffic area, at least wow. according to the to the uh, the group I was working with. Yeah, so I've done some volunteer work. Well, well, that's uh, I mean, and it shows you've been you know doing that for seven years. I haven't actually done it for seven years. I did it for a few years. Oh, a few years. Okay. Uh, gotcha. While my daughter was working there, I was going in and helping them out with. This. Well, that's it's still that's commendable, and that's actually really awesome that um, that you. you know you would do that. I, I I think that's anytime anybody volunteers for anything, uh, that's taking time from you and what you could have done uh, to help out other people. It's just commendable in my book. And what a cause, human trafficking. I mean, that's right. <laughs> such a um that that's such a, a really big issue and um and I've heard about it and it's scary. It's absolutely right. scary. Right. So I'm I, I really that's something you're doing you're doing good work there. Uh, right. I appreciate that. Appreciate it, thirty over thirty years in IT. Yes, sir. Wow, you're and I read I was reading all your skills like you you know your skill sets you know that you put on LinkedIn they read like uh-huh. a uh, um like a like a receipt from CVS they're so long. <laughs> right? well, I, I've been there a long time. I've been doing this for a long time so I got a chance to work on a little bit of everything. I'm, I'm the uh, proverbial jack of all trades master of none. Uh I <laughs> kept myself at that level. Uh, yeah, I started my first job was in a mainframe computer environment in 1990. So, wow, 19. This I mean, it's just amazing to me. Uh, I, I uh, um, it's amazing I, to me. I mean, I think I, I've been doing IT for uh, 20 plus years, and I think that that's a long time, right? <laughs> right. I, I'm starting to feel like archaic. Right. And, uh, and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and I just look at it and I go 30 plus years. Wow. What an amazing run. And you're still going. And, and this is, this is fantastic. Um, uh, I can't imagine. And we're going to have a great program here because there's so much I want to ask you about. Um, because when we, you know, knowing from me in a 20 year, uh, run, the amount of change that I have seen in in this industry has been remarkable and i can't imagine adding another 10 years to that and and seeing the amount of change and staying on top of it uh and and uh and and relentlessly uh uh keeping going through all of this that's that's the most remarkable part about that long of a 10 year in it is that you just are able to see to see this process kind of um uh go uh, uh, and I, I have a feeling, you know, um, that there's going to be these, this, uh, we, we go one way and then we end up circling back a little bit. Uh, a little bit. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. So my, my career spans 33 years, but the first technology I worked with was mainframe and it was, uh, you know, was, I considered it old school then, uh, in 1990, even though some people might think mainframes were still pretty popular, but, uh, they were quickly losing their popularity, and it's a whole other world in the mainframe world, and it's centralized computing. And uh, then we get to computer networks decentralizing uh, the computing power, and and now we're kind of going back to centralized with cloud. It's not quite as central as it used to be, but it's still getting back into that concept. It, it, and, it's, and you're correct. And it's actually funny because I was thinking the same thing, which was cloud is, you know, it, it, while it's not the same as a mainframe, right? It's still yeah. that it's still like, let's bring it back in uh, and, uh, you know, control right. updates and control the uh, the infrastructure that it's on. Uh, and, and, and you're absolutely right. It, it, it takes that. It's almost like um, trying to kind of empower uh one time empower the endpoints and then being like nope they're just endpoints Le- let them just access things they don't give them the power to to host it um yeah. we learned that it was a lot of memory to uh manage the endpoints exclusively so bringing it back together 
uh, at least somewhat, is uh, making our lives easy. That's what that's the way we look at cloud. It's the way it's sold to us is that hey, you're going to uh, your life's going to be easier. Administrative headaches they're going to be less, and your overhead, your costs are going to be less. Uh, although I'm not positive about that myself yet, but. I, you know, you're, you know, this is a good, um, it's a good thought here. Um, there are some environments that work really well in the cloud. And there are some environments that do not work really well in the cloud. And there's some that work partially well in the cloud and not partially well in the cloud, right? Right. <laughs> there's a, it, it just seems to be, uh, you know, a lot like IT, right? A case by case basis. What's your business process? What do you need to do? Okay, what's the best way to do that? That's right. That's right. And for us at Cloud Roofing, it is, uh, uh, we have a hybrid environment, and it's something we don't foresee changing in the future. Um, we have a need. We, we live, as you do, in a hurricane-prone area, and uh, roofs are usually the first to go in a hurricane. So we have to be available for our customers. And so we maintain uh, infrastructure on site to make sure we have access to our system so we can function. What's the um, uh, since you're since you've got the the roofing connection? What is the best type of roof to have? Uh, you know, uh, you know to to kind of help with that situation with the hurricanes. Which one stands up well? The best one is metal roofing. Metal roofing is the the best choice, especially in Florida. Is that like the tin roof? Yeah, yeah, it's not tin anymore, but you can you can think of it that way. Yeah. Well, okay, gotcha. Well, the uh, um, the B fifty twos told me that uh, tin roofs rust, right? So, right. right. <laughs> so, what do what do they use now instead of tin? Um, different kinds of metal alloys, uh, and I don't. I'm not a roofer per se. Uh, I've talked some people about roofing while I've been there of course I've had those conversations but I'm not an expert but it's some, it's some metal alloys aluminum alloys yeah that's what I thought probably aluminum the, the uh, um, yeah you know it's interesting because it you know while you you're not a roofer right sure. um, you always tend to pick up some things sure. from the companies that you work I always think this is interesting because um, you know, the different companies that I've seen and or worked uh, uh, for or with, um, I've always picked up small little things that I never knew I knew in my life, right? I'm like, oh, I guess I know this now. I know how this works. I know how this works, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I've worked in a lot of different industries and, and uh, learned a little bit, uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff that you wouldn't know. And it's always interesting to me. I worked at a manufacturing facility, um, you know, your dashboard, for example, made of plastic. Well, it comes to the manufacturer as plastic pellets. There's these tiny little plastic beads, basically, and they're in these gigantic cardboard, uh, they're called Gaylords, Gaylord boxes, and they get put into a machine. They get mixed with other materials to make it different kind of properties, and then it comes out the other end and gets pelletized again. And then it goes off to Honda or Toyota or GM, and they mold it into their dashboard. Wow! Look at that. That's amazing. It was very interesting. It's you know, and it, it it's just remarkable because you're like, how does this happen? You're right. It's it's molds and and mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, um, another company I had worked, it was a very similar type of thing where um uh they did i i know exactly what you're talking about with those pellets because i've seen them and i'm like okay. things and and you're and they turn into stuff and they turn. <laughs> so it, it is interesting it's, it's remarkable to see that we were making over 100 million pounds of plastic pellets every year wow that's a, that's a lot that's a lot, a lot of pellets <laughs> it's amazing what we pick up but i think it's important uh-huh. And I think it's important to um, understand, and I think that's the great part about it, right, is is understanding how all these processes work, because if they do require any type of IT, um, understanding these processes is is huge to being able to make sure you uh, design the IT correctly. Yeah, it's something I 
I pride myself on is learning the business processes because uh, our job in IT is to support the business and its main function. Most businesses that you work for are technology related. Uh, and so their technology is a supporting, has a supporting role. And so I've always prided myself on understanding the process so that I can better find solutions and maintain systems that, uh, that help to set a priority for which systems are priority. What do we really have to have? What, what cannot go down? And then that drives your whole plan, your whole IT plan. You, you know, you, you mentioned this and it was actually interesting because I was going to ask you about process improvement. That's one of the things I kind of saw on there uh, sure. and and you led right into it. So it's fantastic. Uh, good job yeah. with that transition. I appreciate it. it made my job easier. Right. Awesome. <laughs> um, but let's talk about process improvement because that's it's such a huge role of IT that's so often uh, underutilized, um, you know. So often people want to just throw in a, you know, hey, put this new system in, put this new stuff. But that's really the opportunity to tweak process improvement. And who better to tweak process improvement than people that understand logic? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys who've done flowcharts. <laughs> exactly. All of the processes step by step. Yeah. When I was uh, working for Siva um, Logistics, I got to learn a lot about process improvement and the lean manufacturing methodology, uh, which is a little different than Six Sigma, but it's not terribly different. And uh, uh, it was amazing what we learned. And uh, one of the very first projects I ever worked on, how much how much uh, we saved in the process. We saved time, we saved money, we saved space. And uh, when the process, the process that we improved People were walking on average 12 miles a day to perform this process in an eight-hour day. And we, we reduced it down to less than three miles. Wow. So the, the effort that it took to maintain this process was lower, which improved bottom line as well. And, and, then, and then they all went home and said, oh, now I got to get additional steps in. Uh, maybe, maybe they did. <laughs> I never asked anybody that question, but yes, maybe. And That's yeah, impressive, so, though. That's impressive to take yeah. them from, uh, you know, uh, twelve miles a day. You said to th- down to three. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's just what a great example of of uh, a process that is just completely been uh, utterly improved. Um, the time. The time estimate there i would have loved to known right because uh, someone walking 12 miles a day down to three miles it also must have improved the the time to be able to get stuff out the door it did absolutely that was the other problem we were having was keeping up with the volume uh of of freight so we were moving freight between honda warehouses and uh, the volume we couldn't keep up with but after the process improvement we could with the same number of people, we didn't have to let anybody go. We didn't have to hire more people to keep up. With the same number of people we had, we kept up with the process and we made it vastly better. There was a um, uh, director at Honda. Uh, the gentleman was in charge of all of the warehouses for for Honda. And at the end of the presentation, he he thanked the engineer uh, and the team and said it was the best presentation he had ever seen for process improvement. Wow. Wow. He was not not young. He had not done this once or twice. He had done this for a long time. And I was thoroughly impressed with his impression of us. It was was pretty amazing. I I mean, and that's great, too, because what you you see sometimes, right, is, hey, listen, we're not making money, uh, you know, we're not making or we're not making the profit that we were supposed to hit. Right. Uh, we're not, we're not hitting our targets, like reduce staff, right. Or, or rip out a few programs or something like that. Whereas maybe the first, uh, the first stop should be, hold on, let's, let's work on process improvement, which will end up, uh, trimming down costs, improving efficiency and, uh, and, and, you know, also making sure your staff is aligned correctly. So, you can actually end up doing more with less uh-huh. sometimes. Uh, in our case, we, 
we were we were working with Honda by a by a five year contract. We had a five year contract, and we were about halfway through that. And if you don't perform, they're just going to find someone else who will. So we basically saved the contract. Uh, in my opinion, it's just my opinion, but it, we basically saved that contract and uh, kept it alive for another another cycle. That that's I mean that's amazing. Um, you know that type of uh, process improvement, um, which you learned, uh, and you and you've it sounds like you've taken it with you, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, how, have you adapted this into your um, uh, um, into your uh, methods as a IT director? Absolutely. I I look to see. Um, I always look for it. In a process improvement, you have what is called as waste, a waste of motion or waste of time, uh, or waste the scrap part. Maybe it's your manufacturing part. You have this waste that you look to eliminate from the system. So I do the same thing with the IT, uh, with all the technology. When I look for, and even my process for looking for new technology or replacement technology is all about looking for that waste taking it out of my process. Well, that's, I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly the goal. And that's exactly what you want to do. Um, uh, I, I love that. And I think that that's a, um, that's a fantastic way to um, be able to show value uh, as, as IT, you know, um, there's been a, a recurring theme and I've covered it before where IT, uh, you know, gets looked at as a cost center. Right. Yeah, right. And and um, one of the ways to battle that is to make sure that um, you partner with, uh, you know, the executive team and say, well, actually, we're strategic and we're, we can help you reduce cost, improve efficiency and, and do all these uh, do all these things that um, uh, that you may not know and may, you may not see because we see it. Because we're implementing it, <laughs> we see the processes. We see we end up to understand them to be able to implement these solutions for you. Um, I think that that's a great way to uh, to approach it. Yeah, I agree. Um, it is definitely when when a new process is introduced, it usually requires new technology to make true improvements, especially when a process has been performed for a long period of time. Because even if you don't follow a a uh, um, an organized standard way of reducing your waste in your system, it happens naturally. People look for ways to be faster and smarter about what they're doing. And so when you enter, when you go to introduce a new process, technology often is the key that helps you reduce that waste even more, uh, which is happening at Crowder Roofing. We are in the middle of developing a mobile app for our guys in the field. Right now it's all paper-based product process and so we're going to introduce a handheld device to these guys and they can keep up with all the paperwork basically just by answering some questions on their handheld device and so that that helps sell so if management's wondering why should i spend this money can show those possible improvements as a way of talking to them on their terms and getting that that approval for that technology another um Another part of that, and you, and you mentioned what a great innovation, right? Which is taking a paper-based process and uh, and uh, modernizing it, you know, moving it into uh, the digital realm, um, which allows you to take that data that would normally be hand uh, hand inputted yeah. and input. Right. input. Um, so you take that, you get the mistakes out of the hand input. You get. Uh, um, you reduce having to input it <laughs> at all, right? Because you're getting the source to input it right out right off the bat. Um, and so it's not rekeyed. Then you um you now you have that data in digital form and you can report on it. Uh right. and then now there's your there's strategy, right? Because now you have uh data straight from the source that can be easily reported and acted upon very quickly. Right. Absolutely. And you get some advanced analytic capability that you didn't have before uh, or wasn't easy to get to before. 
And everything you mentioned about improving is all waste in the system that you're able to reduce or eliminate. I love it. That's a, I mean, it's what a, what a great, what a great way to, um, have that. I mean, you're, you mentioned that and I'm glad that you, that you brought it up because it's such a, uh, um, such a thing. You said on there, you're, you one of my strengths is my ability to learn technologies and then understand how the technology can improve business process. And that's, uh, that's from your, your quote there. Um, and there's two pieces that we talked about improving the business processes, but, um, your ability to learn new technologies. Um, I don't, I, I, I don't uh, disagree with this because the last 30 years in IT, you must have learned lots of new technologies over and over and over again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, every, it's a lot of work. It's a lot. As you know, it's, it's things are always changing. Uh, uh, IT software companies and hardware companies like to come out with new stuff to keep continually push their products out into the world and make it uh, larger sales, make larger sales for their, themselves and increase their revenues. And, and they, um, when we make these changes, you've got to learn what those changes are first. Because ideally, you're the first one in your company technology wise or the one of the first to understand this new technology. And then, and the way that you should think about it, the way I think about it is how can this help improve us? You know, sometimes it can't. Sometimes you don't, or you don't see the way it could improve it, your company, but or the processes. But you still look and you still learn, so that you know, uh, you know, you know if it's going to be able to help. And then you have your work cut out for you to to find where it can where it can help, how it can help, and then uh, usually that helps you sell uh, to senior management the need for this new technology. It's it's great point. So you you take um, these technologies uh, that just keep adapting. When you look at them and you see these different technologies, do you ever go back and and go like I've seen this before? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You see some things retreading. You see some ideas that were old that didn't quite take off taking off now. Um, What's an example AI, of that? I think AI is a good example of that. I think this has been tried before. You know, people have been trying for about the last 20 years now to have this self-learning system that can fix itself, right? And they sell it in different ways, but I don't think it's ever truly done uh, what they've intended or what they've sold us, I should say. What they've sold us on it's going to do. And, and now we're getting close to that. AI today is much closer to what has been promised in the past uh, than it ever has. It's interesting you say that because um, I had a, another fellow that was on the uh, podcast and and his take was very similar, which was AI has been around for quite a while now. Uh, it's just now we're interacting with it in a, in a way that's that's more um uh, you know that's more it, it's more way more interactive than it was and his and his example was based on uh you know the the driving apps that t- tell us where to go so like they've been out forever right so you know and it even goes further back than that and it's like ai has been the you know ai has been pattern batching for quite a while now but right. its ability to interact with you has always been the problem and now is that seems to have fixed itself sort of sort of right <laughs> sort of sort of and they're doing much better it's, it's uh it's also the way it's being the creative ways it's being used to help people um we use ai in a product called dark trace and dark trace does its own ai and it learns patterns from our end users and then it looks for things that aren't normal and then it highlights it for us so that uh, it's just me and another guy in the shop. There's just two of us. And uh, between the two of us, it's kind of hard to keep up with all the requests, implement new projects, research new projects, and keep up with security. And so mm-hmm. the AI is really the person, the thing out there looking for us. And it's an innovative way to help us make our jobs a little less uh, stressful. And so you don't have to sort through all of the, uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, events that happen 
and uh, and narrow them down, it'll go, hey, I think these are it. And then you can go, well, based on those, I think it's really this. Right. <laughs> right. And it's a much smaller subset and much more focused. No, that's a, and that's the and that's really the way. Um, and for anybody that is not using a, a solution very similar to what you mentioned, um, uh, you know, they should be using that solution. Uh, you should traditional antivirus is not catching anything anymore. Yeah. No, it's not. It, especially when you can AI should just be your note that you should really have moved on to uh, onto an AI based uh, antivirus. The reason why is because if AI exists, which it does now, it can make uh, um, you know it can help make viruses very quickly, right? Because right? it can code quickly, and you don't have to have any uh, skill set to be able to code with it. You just you know, uh, hard, I mean, all you just give me a program that does this and it writes it for you. And maybe you have to correct a few things, but not too much. Um, you know, I'm guarantee you out there's 10 year olds out there that are that are coding up some fun things and uh, and sending them out. And, you know, it, it 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 will be, you know, if you don't have that pattern matching AI that's going to be able to detect it like you got, you're going to run into problems. You know, you're. Yeah. It, it, no traditional antivirus is going to catch a, a zero day threat. No, not at all. And it's it's uh, it's been a long time since I've been involved with a virus that really caused wreaked any havoc. Uh, viruses aren't uh, as prevalent as they used to be. They're now mostly just the uh, uh, ransomware. You know, grab all your stuff and hey, give me some money and I'll give it back to you, maybe. Uh, so you have to have other ways of protecting your data as well. And, but the AI allows us to do that. It takes away our need to scan, you know, transactions or look at every little minute detail of, of action on the network. So now we can focus on, um, securing our data in another way. No, I, I, I agree with that. You know, I had a, um, I had a, um, uh, a question I wanted to ask you um, that was related to something that you posted. Um, not technically uh, technical, but uh, um, actually more from a managerial standpoint. Um, you had, by now I've forgotten who said it, but it, it, was, it was people don't leave jobs, they leave bad bosses. Uh, you remember uh, yeah. uh, liking that or reposting it? Um, yeah. And uh, so my question to you was, what makes a boss bad? Uh, one that doesn't care, one that just occasionally interacts with you and really is for their own, their own, uh, their own purposes. Uh, my boss does a pretty good job of interacting with me, even though he's not technically inclined. He's still very willing and capable of, of understanding our conversations. So he has those conversations with me. And so I try to, I try to do the same thing with my employee. I do the same thing when I talk to uh, vendors that I work with. You know, I, I show interest in what they're working on and how I can help them. And so it makes me, it gives, it gives me a little more insight into that person and how they're functioning, which helps me work with them in a, in a better way. So that's what I think. Someone who shows interest and in, uh, truly takes the time to understand what, what you're doing. And caring, you so uh, a boss, a boss needs to care. <laughs> yeah, right. Just show me your care a little bit about me, and I'm going to stick around. and I'm going to do what I can. At least me personally, that's the way I I operate. Well, I, and that's such a human thing. It's interesting that uh, um, you know, just the mere fact of uh, of being human and showing that you have emotion, care uh, about the people that you work with. Uh, makes you a better boss. That's an interesting uh, right. uh, look at it. Um, it's always interesting. I always ask people about different, uh, you know, different characteristics of bosses and stuff like that. And uh, that may be the first one I got into the wrong along that line of, of thought. Right? Um, it's to a certain degree, but but the the human element is such a big piece of right. of this whole. Uh, uh, management. And, um, I think people forget about that. I mean, <laughs> you know, like it's a, it's a big deal. Like, you know, you can't just, these are, you know, the folks that you work with, 
they're not just, you know, robots, you know, I have a hard time. The other day I, I, uh, I was working in, uh, you know, talking back and forth with, you know, Chad GPT for something. I can't remember now, but, um, and it, it didn't get something right. And I said, hey, actually, that's not correct. And I explained to it. Right. And it like started apologizing to me. And I understand it's just pattern matching, but I actually, for a moment, I like, felt bad. I'm like, Oh, I, you know, I, I'm like, you don't have, I'm like, I should, I'm like, listen, you don't have to apologize. I know. Cause I, you know, it, it's okay. And it was like, Oh no, it's fine. I'm just, a, I, I'm just an uh, IT chatbot. And I, you know, I don't, I'm just a, you know, a chatbot. I, I, I don't, I don't have emotions. I'm like, well, then your apology doesn't matter to me. So why are you? <laughs> <laughs> why are you giving it to me? Yeah, I have, I, I've tried to do something similar with AI, where I ask you questions about being human, and all I ever get from it is, I'm just a program. I'm just a, a technology. I'm not. I'm not human, so I can't answer your question. Yet it will apologize to you profusely <laughs> and feel really bad about. Oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't catch that. And like, why? What is, but again, that's all pattern matching. It just shows you, you know, it's like an interesting with the with humans and our ability to um, see emotions in other animals that aren't really there, and right. the ability to you know put a human element towards that. It's interesting you say what you did, what you bring up because. It's such a it's such an interesting thought, right? The what makes a boss bad? The lack of empathy, the lack of uh, of caring about others, it being you know the the lack of being human and right. uh, and understanding each other. Uh, that's that's what makes a boss bad. Being robotic, right? right? Which is interesting, right? Because there's so much right now that we're relying on robots to do essentially sure. uh you know and when here so let's talk about that for a minute so if okay. what make, well if what makes being a, a a boss bad or one of the things right is is this a uh, robotic nature where they're just i need this okay i need this okay right that that robotic nature of them well <clears throat> if we're moving towards a spot where we are becoming more robotic from automated processes to all that stuff. It is, does that take away some of the human element? And is that a problem? It does take away some of the human element. I, I don't know that it's a problem, uh, but it's an opportunity for someone in the future to, to develop some AI that at least acts like it cares, right? That might attract <laughs> more people to use it. So it's, a, it's an opportunity for sure. Um, and when, you know, everybody's busy, everybody has a difficulty in their job. And so your boss, the way I look at it as a boss, I want to clear the obstacles for my employee, which means I have to understand what those obstacles are, which means I have to talk to them and get to know what they're doing. And so it, it just seems logical to me. There I go. Logical. Like <laughs> AI. <laughs> It's it's logical, but to get that logic, you need to be human. You need to uh, yeah. use the human elements of uh, of caring and understanding and stuff like that to be able to get that and pull that logic out, um, and to and to get uh, you know people put a produce. So so that's really an interesting thought. Is uh, you know you need the human element to to increase the production and increase yeah. robotic nature, but you need to not get away from that as well. What an right. interesting thought uh, from just a quick question about what makes bosses bad. Right. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. The direction we went there. So in thinking about this, you're, uh, uh, you know, how you're talking about, uh, you know, the need for connecting on a human level uh, to be able to, make things uh be able to um make sure that production is set correctly and stuff that seems to me like that's a key element also in process improvement yeah sure absolutely uh, the example that i gave where we saved nine miles a day was a very human thing but it's also not just well we feel bad for these people because they're walking 12 miles a day it's because efficiencies can be gained, can especially be lost when a, when a person becomes fatigued over time. And so you're not just 
making the improvement to improve people's lives, although it did, you're also making the improvement to improve the process so that they're more efficient and steadier production throughout their, their day. Is that something that goes hand in hand from your, from your experience? It did for me. From my experience, I don't know that the engineer intended it that way. I don't remember ever talking to him specifically about this. Uh, he and I became pretty close friends and we worked on a bunch of projects together. But I, for me, it's what I saw. I noticed it right away. Uh, and I just never had the chance to talk to him about it. So for me, yeah. Have you had previous, um, you know, in different previous, previous uh, process improvement scenarios, have you seen where, uh, have you seen this kind of thing where um, improving quality of life efficiencies, uh, qual- improving that piece also improves the um, the process and vice versa? Yeah. So, so making things, uh, making things uh, run better for people, making them happier. Uh, and in their jobs also improves the process. Yeah, uh, I think logically, again, that's going to happen. A lot of times we worked on these projects, we went in for a few months, and then we left once we implemented the improvements. And so we didn't get a lot of feedback time from people to see how it went over time. Um, but the first project we did, because it, it was at a facility that I actually worked out of, that I got to see, I got to see it, it improve people, uh, their lives and their, their, um, their work day. Their work day was much better. You know, some, there was, um, there was one lady who had foot pain, a lot of foot pain. So after walking 12 miles a day, I didn't feel like doing much of a scout home. And so reducing that, that walk had to uh, decrease her pain and, and help her once she got home be able to, do other things so remarkable i mean and and also again a good a good use of it right yeah (laughs) it not only uh um fixing processes but also fixing people (laughs) (laughs) we are human yeah absolutely um that's true that's such a what a i listen it that's a that's a great tagline right uh it we are human Right. I, like it. I, like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> um, so you have had, uh, as we've talked about, an extensive career in IT, um, doing uh, lots of different things, lots of different positions, lots of different uh, spots. Um, <clears throat> you have you have seen a lot of things over time, right? And this brings me to uh, my. IT crystal ball, where we go over the future of IT, right? And uh, I've, uh, you know, I, I've actually I'm given a little extra time here because um, I think I want to I want to extend out this the segment is usually a little a little bit shorter, but I actually want to extend out this segment with you a little bit because uh, I think you're going to have some some interesting insights on the future of IT, mainly because the to understand the future, right? To to predict accurately predict where we're going to go, you have to understand the past, right? And the more you've seen of the past, uh, the more you understand where the future is going. In my uh, in my short tenure here, uh, you know, I'm uh, like I said, two two decades in uh, in IT, and I know that uh, you know when I was younger. I didn't see the patterns as well. And now I start to see the patterns better. And I know that throw another 10, 20 years and I'm going to understand exactly what's happening. And I, and I'm going to go, Oh, I know it's coming. <laughs> so, right. So let's take your three uh, plus decade, you know, three decades of, uh, say, say, I think you said 33 years, right? Correct. Get that right. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, so 33 years of IT and let's go ahead and, um, and, uh, and use that to figure out where we're going to go, uh, you know, coming up. So let's start first <clears throat> with the past, right? You said you started in mainframes, right? And what, what was the, um, uh, uh, what, what type of mainframe? Of the IBM mainframe. IBM. Yeah. My, um, 
my uh, uh, I, I used to when I first came out of um, uh, uh, came out of college, um, I got a job. And in that job, uh, we the company had a, um, a IBM, which used to be called uh, AS400. They've changed it to IBM Series I. And I, what, I, who knows what it's named now? Right. Even right. go back even further was like QSIS 36 or 34 right. or whatever. Right. I can't right. even remember it, but that's the, that's the main, that's the, you know, mainframe in quotes. Uh, cause it's like kind of a light mainframe at that point. Um, that I was exposed to, uh, and it started off with. <clears throat> um, so, but so you, so what was yours? So it was IBM. It was a 4000 series. Uh, I don't recall the exact number anymore. Uh, it's been a few years, so Michael's uh, uh, <laughs> my memory a little bit. It's like a 40, 4231 or 4281, something to that effect. Uh, right. it, it, it was like what you see in the movies, in the old movies, where you saw the big boxes in the room and the ranked floor and the real real tape. It was all of that. When I first started in there, and our first mainframe. All right, so and and I've got the I've got the visual in my head too. So so looking at that, um, what were some of the things that you disliked about that, and then what were some of the things that you did you actually liked about it? Uh, disliked that it was so expensive. Uh, I mean, it didn't affect me so much, but it's a very expensive technology at the time. Uh, cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars. And maintenance alone every year. Uh, you got to do a lot of routine maintenance on those. And they came about four times a year to do stuff. And uh, so all that was really costly. Uh, that was probably the end of the size. I mean, it's just sheer massive size and, and uh, flow. Everything was really slow. <laughs> so those are some of the things I didn't like about it. What I did like about it was working in that environment. It was a little repetitive, but it was important. I used to work as a third shift operator. My job was to change tapes and print reports all night. And there was a rhythm to that that I really liked. I really got used to that rhythm and I got really good at it. So when there were problems, I could help get them corrected as quickly as possible because I got really, I got used to the, the routine quickly. So everything else was just kind of I'm, I'm learning more and adding more on that maybe a operator wouldn't always know. Uh, and I had a good relationship with the programmer that had to come in on those crazy hours and fix a program that might have crashed. Um, wow. So so that's so so it's good. So what so what I'm hearing here is uh, from the mainframe standpoint, expensive, slow, and just large, unable to be moved, really. (laughs) Once you put it down, it's not going anywhere. I hope you put it in the right spot. Um, And then on uh, on the the other side of the coin, right, Um, it was, you knew it was predictable. These are the things that it needed to get done. I could get them done and it would happen. If there was an issue, we figured out how to fix it. And now we knew, oh, that's a problem, but I know how to fix it. We can move on. Right. Right. So, so very, very predictable, very easy, uh, to work with. Um, but, but cumbersome, lots of maintenance, slow, expensive, all that type of thing. Okay. So now let's fast forward a little bit. Um, you know, we've, we've moved out of mainframes and now we're, um, and I'm going to fast forward, uh, um, to servers. Uh, um, but, but right before virtualization. Okay. So, gotcha. so, so I'm sure you worked in a spot where you had a bunch of servers and you tried to load everything onto a server as you possibly could to get it right to the, uh, um, you know, where like, oh, we're running about 75, 85% on this. We're good. Let's right. we'll use another server. <laughs> That's right. Each yeah. server no, no, did exactly what it could, right? You loaded it up. <laughs> <laughs> and so, in this in this spot, you know you've you've got a bunch of servers doing a multitude of different things. Applications spread all over the all over them for no logical reason as to what where they're at. It's just we put an application here because we knew it had enough to be able to run it, and now it's gone past it, and now I need to move it to its own new server. Uh, you know, 
And then I'll probably put something else on top of that because it's new now and uh, right. it needs to run. So what were some of the the pain points in this kind of environment? Pain points were pretty large. Uh, in that environment, you, you always try to maximize the technology, the usage of the technology, like you mentioned. And what would invariably happen is one of the applications that you put on a box that wasn't all that important would have a big problem and that would take down the whole box and then you'd be dead in the water for hours uh, sitting in the server room beating your head against the wall trying to figure out how to fix this or how to get it up and running on another box uh, to, to save your job. So if you had one. If, yeah, if you had another server, right. <laughs> so it's very stressful. Very stressful time. The the the, the um, trick of the trade there was to always always overestimate the amount of stuff. Yes, we're running like eighty. We need another server because we're running eighty percent capacity. You really have thirty, but you know that you need another server because that uh-huh. one goes. You need to just swap it over. That's right. That's right. So very stressful times in, in that environment. Wow. And uh, uh, slow slow to upgrade and, and and stuff right i mean yeah, right is, yeah, yeah. you had to work you had to work over uh in in uh you know after hours a lot more uh than you do now uh than i do now i had to work a lot more after hours weekends holidays uh came in on a holiday to upgrade a, an exchange server and uh the next thing i know when it went to reboot the SCSI controller went bad and it was down and so it, it took me like a year and a half of convincing that they, they didn't have email before and they didn't want email. Uh, I convinced them that it was a good idea. And uh, then six months later, the server crashed on me on a, the day after Thanksgiving. So I was there all weekend trying to get it to work myself, trying to come up with an alternative plan, but the, the local... IT support group that I had that I went to the the company that I used they weren't in of course it was a holiday weekend so they were at home enjoying their family and I was there pulling my hair out as you can see <laughs> <laughs> you know and I still people don't realize that I still have nightmares about rebuilding exchange right oh, to this day. Like I still will, I'll wake up in a cold sweat going, I have to run that command to rebuild, <laughs> to rebuild the database. <laughs> oh, yeah. was a lot of fun. Oh, when they moved exchange, uh, to the cloud, I was just like, yes, get it away. Right. You just made right. my day. The one thing I think that I, uh, I always continuously stressed over is, uh, is having exchange. I mean, I, I worked in, in an environment one time that had, Exchange running on uh, 800 different servers. Whoa! So, so each server had its own NT domain and ran its own Exchange five five. I think it was at the time, uh, and you had to sync it all. <laughs> oh my! I feel for you, Michael. I feel for you right there. Yeah. Know. So, uh, yeah. So I have my nightmares. You know. <laughs> you all still right, have so your hair. Yeah, I do. Luckily, uh, I, you know, I'm uh, I'm lucky right now. I still, I mean, there's a little, little spot in the back. It's starting to go, but you know, I, I made it to I made it to 42 so far with it. I'm I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's fast forward now to virtualization. All right. So we've got not only uh, um, virtualization of servers, but we got virtualization virtualization of storage. We're still running on prem equipment, but we've got uh, um, virtualization, right? So what's the uh, disadvantages advantages in this room? can't think of a lot of disadvantages of having it virtualized. Anything virtualized means you have the ability to expand it. So you're not going to run out of storage space, which actually happened to me when I started a crowd of roofing. Uh, we had about uh, uh, nine terabyte file storage for our end users, and it filled up periodically. And I had to offload data and, and manipulate it all the time. And now we have, um, we have enough space. We have more twice, um, about twice as much space. And I also 
move data off. So I don't have to worry about the storage anymore. If it were virtualized, it would be a lot easier even. Uh, but because we keep it on-premise, I keep it in a, in a, a, a kind of an old school mentality. Uh, but a virtualized servers, those are godsends because you don't have to, uh, you don't have to worry about running out of CPUs. Your process is getting uh, overloaded. Throw another one or two on there and, and keep it going. Um, just keep throwing with, hardware at it and let it expand. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you don't even have to take it down to do most of these functions. And then when you do have to take it down, well, our old independent freestanding server has to go through this BIOS boot up process and it takes more time. So it's faster to virtualize servers. They, they come up faster. Uh, they're more stable, especially if you use uh, good virtualization software, uh, which we do. And it just makes life so much easier. I can't think of any drawbacks. I can think of one. Okay. Um, uh, uh, besides the fact that it's on-prem equipment uh, um, that you you know that you that still has uh, failures that you have to keep track of, but I I would think uh, one of them being the disadvantage of having a uh, a virtualization uh, is that it suddenly became viable to keep old things running. Uh, I, yeah. I remember virtualizing. Uh, you know, um, like, uh, uh, like deck equipment. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, you know, it, like, it, like stuff that was running like, uh, VMS, right? <laughs> like, uh, you know, taking that and, and, uh, and uh, they actually had a program where you could virtualize it and, and, and convert it into a Windows operating system and run it on that. Um, but in, then just virtualizing old Windows operating systems of things that they just needed to keep lying around. And so right. you just have this, this ever growing, uh, you know, uh, like graveyard of old servers not doing much, but have to keep them running. Right. Why do you replace them? They're, they're working just fine. Why don't I have to get rid of it? Exactly. It made it too good. <laughs> right. Right. So I think that that may be may, may be one thing I could think of uh, in that regard. Um, uh, uh, it was a lot of uh, I, around around that time I became a storage uh, um, architect. So um, I was playing with orange wires, you know, right? <laughs> getting fiber connected and and uh, and connected to the uh, uh, machines, and you had to get that right. Uh, otherwise, the the storage would go wonky in in in, uh, in the virtualization world but um but yeah there's not that that was kind of a, some golden years there in uh in, in <laughs> it so okay so now let's let's flash forward to the present uh where we're uh you know some type of a mixture of all of that <laughs> right? right right adding on to do to that cloud right where they've pushed a lot of applications to the web uh, for SaaS applications, they pushed uh, um, uh, authentication to the cloud now. Um, you know, email, if your email is not in the cloud, I don't know what you're doing, right? At this point, right. you know, a lot of this uh, um, storage for uh, some storage works really well in the cloud. Other storage still doesn't. Uh, depends, right. on the, depends on what you're doing. Um, you've got this like, hybrid nature like you mentioned where some things are better on prem some things work better in the cloud and they have to talk to each other and connect to each other and be right and uh you know accessible from a whole bunch of different locations so this right. is where we are now right and advantages and disadvantages now of this so advantages are uh mobility of data easy access of data um, and also you get the same benefits you got with virtualization and having uh, these ever expandable environments that you can keep up with demand. Uh, at some, you can set up to keep up with demand automatically and scale up and back. Uh, disadvantage is connectivity. Uh, so for us, uh, we had a single connection to the internet. So if that were to go down, we would be cut off, right? And we yep. still need to get to our, our cloud environment. And so at the time, we had fiber running above ground between our buildings and from 
from uh, we use Comcast, so from Comcast, our internet was above ground, and those got, wires got cut periodically. And so we had to scramble, and so I finally uh, decided we're going to put these underground. And so they've been more uh, consistent, more stable, and now they're doing road construction near our spot of work. So I'm just waiting for the cut of the fiber to get cut, but it was the right thing to do. So that's one of the disadvantages. Like I would uh, probably add, right, is um, having to keep track of costs. Yes, keeping track of of Azure costs, for example, we use Azure as our cloud provider, is uh, exceedingly complicated. And if you want to try to find where you can save some money, get, going through the minutia of the, the the data moves and the read writes and uh, packets in packets really, out. You can really dive deep to figure out where you can save costs, but it is it it requires a lot of of digging. It does. It does. It takes a lot and and, and a lot of knowing uh, processes, right? Where can I save this data? Do you use this data? Do you right. how often do you use this data? Can I uh, can I move this over here real quick and, and not not worry about it? Hey, you uh, right. using this server a lot? Because if you're not using it from this point, I can just turn it off for a while and turn it back on. <laughs> Sometimes you just do that to see what happens. <laughs> just, <laughs> well, just to see that's how you know been in IT for a while, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what this does, so I'm going to turn it off. Let's turn it off for a week and see who complains. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, so now we've arrived. We're in the present, but let's go to the future, right? Let's move to the future. And I want to know Gary's idea of the future. Where are we going? Where are we headed? Uh, Because we know all the past. We're up to the present. Now let's go to the future. Where are we going, right? And and, and what pain points and what non-pain points, but good good things is it going to bring us? Well, I think it's going to become more... Everything's going to be more, everything's going to be smaller. Like servers are not going to be so much, uh, a, a big thing. You're going to have modular applications that just run on their own in the cloud. I can see that happening. That's happening today. Um, the other part that's going to happen, I think, is AI is going to have a much larger role. And so we all have to learn a new technology. So that we can, so we can keep doing the best things we can for who we work for. Let me ask you a let me ask you a follow up on that question. What is AI's roles role or roles? Uh, do you think it's gonna is gonna play? What are the biggest pieces of it uh, where it's gonna play uh, in this environment, this new environment? It's gonna expand its role. Today, I kind of think of it as a glorified search engine. I mean, it can do some some linguistic tricks and create some uh, wording or write a program for you, like you mentioned before. But I think in the future, it's going to do more of that, and it's going to uh, it's going to in, it's going to interject itself in other areas. Analytics definitely is going to be one area where we'll be able to say all that data we've been collecting, that digital data we've been collecting. We're going to throw AI at it, and it's going to tell us, here's areas you might want to look at. And so I don't have to look at everything all the time, just like we do with our security software. Just look at these areas. So I think that's more, it's going to be more. And the Internet of Things, I believe, is, is just going to expand and expand. Uh, one of the companies I worked for, the one branch of our company, got into the Internet of Things quite a few years ago, about eight, ten years ago. And they were uh, managing these. Uh, it was uh, fire extinguishers and fire suppression systems. And so they had Internet of Things devices that were monitoring all of that. So they didn't. They, they had a, pre, uh, a, a warning. They had more time to know that something was going to fail before it was needed. And so they would spend. They spent a lot of their time going through that, learning, teaching. The technician's all about that. So I think more of that is going to come our way. Uh, the advantages of that is more access to more information. The disadvantages of that is more access to more information. 
And the more we got to look at, the more we look at, and the more complicated it becomes. That's and that, I, you know, that's interesting. I, it, Cause this is a thing that's come up recently is I just, the amount of information I am fed every single day. I just, I, I'm just like overloaded. Like I, I you know, you go home, I want to turn on the news, but I'm like, I can't even listen to that right now because it's just too much information that is going on in my head. It becomes hard to process. You're absolutely right. Uh, the more information that exists, the harder it is to process through it. And I think that's going to, I think that's a big challenge. I think you're right. I think you hit the, no, uh, the nail on the head on that one. It, it, uh, you're right on the nose. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw that, but I try, I, I almost connect. I almost said the wrong thing, right? I, I think you hit the nose, right? But I was trying to say two different things. But hit the nail on the head, right on the nose. Don't hit the nose. So that's, you know, I've, I, it's again, too much information. Now I'm crossing my streams here, right? So, right. but no, I, I think you did. Uh, too much information is, is a problem. But as you pointed out, Problems are also opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you have uh, something unique, whether it be a positive or a negative, it's an opportunity for you to to dig into and understand better and uh, prove value, uh, to continue proving your value to to your your company or your your uh, environment, your to yourself, really. Nerds, I'm Michael Moore. I've been hosting this podcast for Dissecting Popular IT Nerds and been here with Gary Maynard, Director of Information Technology at Crowther Roofing and Cooling. Gary, it's been a pleasure. Uh, please come on again. Thanks, Michael. <laughs>